But now let me ask just real quick. I, I really want to know this. I've not been with you, every, you know, very many weeks here through this series. I, who's been a part of level four kind of from the beginning? Okay, no, really. I mean, like, okay, well, from, okay, who's been a part of it for the last few months? Who's caught up? Wow, okay. So this, this crowd, we're catching up a little bit. Now, if you've been a part of level four, you'll remember that it's, it's a life not of perfection, but of progression. It's an idea that you are sold out, that you're trying to live for the Lord, to be a disciple of his, to grow. Now, I got to tell you, as we get into this today, I, I want to be as clear and, and just succinct as I can, because last service just didn't quite get it. I, at the end, they, they just didn't get it. We have built this service around a story and a climax through God's word and then to a moment at the end which we believe is truly epic. I've experienced it before. Um, it has to do with the band and worship and all that. So I'm going to ask that I know if you have places to be, try not to leave early today because you're going to leave and then find out what happened and then feel like you missed it and we don't want that to happen. So just sit tight. We've purposely put everything in front, front loaded the service so that you can be a part of that amazing experience. And it is a family unity experience at the end. But I, um, a few weeks ago, I'll tell you kind of the, the backstory on this. As we work through level four, love, Chuck is ready to now take us on a journey where we go from holiness, the things that are inquired and innate in us through the Lord and through being uh, set apart for him, now into this beautiful thing we're going to call level four, love, where all of that is turned externally and you begin to impact those people that are around you. Now, I know that's a huge thing in this world. We have social initiatives and people are crying out for change in the world, but actually studying the design of love and the beauty of it is going to be a really fun process, so don't miss the next three or four weeks where Chuck takes us. Today is a kind of a platform foundation day for that. It's a day for us to come together as the church, and I'm going to try to say this as clear as I can. A lot of times we discuss the what of the Bible. And you know that. We sit here and talk about some really great things, things that God wants us to do. But now what we're going to do today as we set this platform and this foundation for level for love is simply say, what's the why? Why do we love? Why are we the church? Why do we come in this room? And I, I know a lot of you might ask, if you really think about it, you go, okay, I come and worship. I know I'm supposed to. I know I'm supposed to hold my tongue. I know I'm supposed to be honest. I know I'm supposed to stand with integrity. But what's the why? Why does God call the church to be the church? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, this kind of started with me. Yeah, I was getting prepared for a message that would be a precursor eventually to this one. We were doing a Passionate World Changer series on Wednesdays, and we had hit this climax in it. And I'm, I'll just be shoot straight with you right from the top. I, I had hit a rock wall in the series. We went six weeks. On week seven, we're hitting this climactic point, and I had nothing. Now, as a pastor, I put together a message, and uh, you know, I don't know how, if you've experienced these things at your job or your career, but you'll walk away from the message, and you kind of just realize it's just not that good, okay? That's what I was going through. And so I'm sitting there, and I don't want to enter and come into church with not carrying a burden and not carrying this message from the Lord. That's just a waste of time. So I actually went on Twitter, and I tweeted and Facebooked the fact that I had no message for Wednesday night. And I said, everyone, you got to understand that if you come on Wednesday night right now, two days away, there's not going to be any message. We're going to sit in silence for 35 minutes. Because I'm not going to talk the Lord's truth and just talk a bunch of Tony. We might as well sit in silence because we need to listen to the Lord. So I thought, okay, I guess we'll do that. It's going to be a weird night. A lot of people will be really bored. Maybe not as bored as my message. And then we sit there in that moment. I'm praying. I tweet the whole thing, Facebook the whole thing, and then I go on a walk with Ethan. And I'm about to throw up a little picture of my son there for you, uh, my two-and-a-half-year-old son. But I want you to look what's in his hand, and I'm going to tell you a story about it. That's a rock, okay? That's a big, old, heavy rock for a two-and-a-half-year-old to carry. Now, I'm sitting there, and I'm praying, and I'm saying, Lord, will you just, you just help me? 
I'm 36 hours away. I know I have to put 10 to 14 hours into this message to make it real, Lord. That's not a lot of mathematical time left here, God. And so I prayed, and I'm walking with Ethan, and suddenly he goes over to this little construction area, and he picks up this rock. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever watched a child get obsessed over a rock. Has anyone ever tried to understand that? Does anyone else have a kid that's as weird to pick up a rock and just, like, hold it and walk around? Okay, good. There's a few of us. Okay. We'll start a self-help class and course for us. <laughs> so I, I look over, and Ethan's carrying this rock around. He drops the rock. He picks it up again. He's a little concerned about it. He spills water all over it and then dries it off with his shirt. And I'm watching this. I'm thinking, dude, it's, it's a rock, bro. You know, it's like one of those, just thinking of all the, um, you know, anyway. So I, I look at him, and, and I, I sat down, and here's what I prayed. I said, God, please just give me something. Now, have you ever had one of those moments where something so just, so, so just common hits you, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, directs inside of you? This, have you ever had an aha moment like that, where God used something obvious, and he uses you to show something supernatural? I sit there, and I feel it. And I'm watching my little son hold this little rock, and I'm like, Okay, and then Matthew 16 hits me in the middle of the brain, square in the eyes. And you remember Matthew 16, right? That's when Jesus is walking out of Caesarea Philippi, and he sits there and he looks at his disciples and he says, who do the people say that I am? Maybe not that loud. Who do the people say that I am? And the disciples look back and they go, well, some say Elijah, and some say John the Baptist, and some say a prophet. And he's like, but, but hold on a second. Who do you say that I am? Peter, loudmouth Peter, always says everything wrong, but not in this moment. He pipes up and he says the right thing. He stops and he goes, well, we believe that you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's it. You got it. He says, and on that rock, on that confession that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church. And I'm sitting there thinking about the rock, and I'm thinking about Matthew 16, and I'm watching Ethan obsess over this rock, and I realized in that moment, I'm just going to get real honest with you and open, that I have a passion, an obsession, something that causes me to bleed and cry and be moved over a rock just like my son. And it just began to boil up inside of me, and I began to study, and I began to read John 17, like we're all about to read together, and began to just, just mull over it and realize that at the end of the day, God gave us this beautiful thing called the rock. My question for you is, do you understand today the why? Do you walk into this building and also obsess over Christ, the son of the living God, and then the church that was built off of that foundation and that platform? Is it so real and so vivid and so passionate that it brings you to tears? By the time we leave today, I'm just telling you up front, I'm, I believe that there are a few of you that God is going to bring to a point of commitment to this rock like you have never understood. I believe that he has called you and created you from the beginning of time to be in the seat you're sitting in, in this moment, historically and supernaturally and eternity, to be sitting in that seat and hear from his spirit and be moved by his spirit and react in a way that you never could comprehend. That's a few minutes from now. I believe even right now you'll begin to feel his tug. But so that we can answer this question today together, I'm going to ask that you turn your Bibles to John 17 and that you pray with me. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, I thank you for the fact that you have put inside of me this, this resolve and this passion for this beautiful organism that you created called the church. 
But I thank you beyond that, that you died a bloody, beaten, and mocked death to give us that beautiful rock. That you laid it at our feet, that you, you laid it in front of us, and you, you've allowed it in freedom to be taken as a gift by all of us for purpose and for eternal security and for hope. So Lord, I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that for people that came in here today, whether they're sitting up really high in this building or whether they're sitting down here low, that if this is their moment to respond to you, that if this is their moment to be moved by you, Holy Spirit, begin to touch them, begin to move inside of them, begin to work in them, help them to realize that their value on this earth and the why can change them forever. That they are called to love. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys ready to go? Okay, John 17. Jesus is praying a prayer to his disciples just before he goes to the cross. But I want to analyze and go underneath that prayer together as a family and say, okay, what does that mean to me in 2009? How does it become my why? If you're in John 17, start with me in verse 15. Jesus looks at his disciples and he actually prays to God and says, God, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. It's interesting, he doesn't want the disciples taken out of the world because they were going to be the rock of the church. They were going to be the thing that changed the world. And although it was going to be hard, he says, I don't want them gone. Keep reading. But keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they will also be sanctified or set apart in this truth. Here's the key, verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Now let's read verse 20 again, okay? Now, now please latch on to this, and we're going to stop. Take a pen, take a highlighter, go ahead and circle it. It says, but not just for these, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Now, let's just stop for a second, okay? Put on your, 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 your glasses and stare at that, that text and tell me, do you understand what that means? The king of the universe is about to go to the cross. The conqueror of death is about to be bloody and beaten and mocked and tortured beyond measure. And he sits here and prays a prayer in front of 11 men by this point. And he begins to ask and plead on God's behalf that he move and begin to just desperately uh, be, 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 uh, be, be changing the world through these men. But then he stops and he utters this little statement that says, but not only for these, but for also all of those who believe. Do you understand who he's praying for right there? Who understands who he's praying for there? Yes, I have read John 17 so many times and I have understood that here, but have you ever and I ever understood it in here? Cross the 2,000 year bridge with me just for a second, okay? Go back before the martyrs and the early church fathers. Go back before the Middle Ages and realize that the king of the universe sits in this moment about to be beaten and he prays for you and I. Crossroads of 2009. Hebrews 2.9 is clear that he tastes death for the individual, meaning that he understood that today you'd be sitting where you sat. He understood you'd sit up high and come into church and not think you might have to pay attention or sit down low and be going through some torturous circumstance or question of anxiety. He knew where you'd be sitting, what you'd be breathing, how you'd be eating. He knew everything about you, and he stopped for a minute to pray for you and me. I mean, do we ever truly grasp that for a second? Ephesians 5, verse 25. 
is a beautiful metaphoric example where Paul says that the husband's supposed to treat the wife the way the church, God, or Jesus treats the church. But look what he says in verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. He gave himself up for her. Verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You sit in this room because the king of the universe 2,000 years ago prayed that you would be clean and prayed that you and I would be blameless and prayed that we would be pure and prayed that we would have hope. He sat there and knew who you would be and what you would sit and what you would think. So let me ask the question. How in the world, in the 2,000 years between that prayer and then 2009, did we somehow begin to make the church about us? I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to put this on myself a little bit, but think about this for a second. We come in. I know all of us do it. You come to a church. We leave. What's the first thing we say when we get in the car when we visit? Hum, hum, hum. So, honey, what'd you think? Well, I don't know if the pastor really hit home for me. Oh, I don't know if the worship, yeah, you're right, the worship wasn't really fitting to what I'm going through. The styles were kind of off. It's our basis for whether we attend a church or not. The worship's too loud. The worship's too soft. The expositional teaching is too heavy or not culturally relevant enough. We sit here and go, they talk too much about money or they don't care enough about the poor. Everything we do is analyze it. There's too many screaming babies or too many old people. Thank you, Vince. I love your laugh. Can I show you something about Vince? You ready? See, he can't help it. All right, so think about this. Wednesdays are really fun because we have Vince. But I, um, I, I want you to think about this for a second. Maybe you and I can get real honest when we go sit in our car and we start it and we go, okay, somehow I kind of have the tendency to do this and let's just be really, really clear. Lord, I began this cosmic relationship with you. I know you're God. I understand how big you are. But Lord, I've been coming to church regularly, so I believe that you owe me a reward. Not a blessing because we know you give those and, uh, and, and I know that I'll get my reward in heaven, but I think you kind of owe me a reward now. You go, I don't pray that way. No, I think you do. How many of you in the subconscious back of, back of your mind would pray and then you think, okay, since I'm doing a good job and going to church. God, you really owe me. You really deserve to, it's really good that you heal Grandma Matilda and what she's going through. I mean, it's just kind of a give and take. Lord, I prayed so hard. I've been so diligent in my worship. Lord, please, I ask of you, will you just go ahead and take care of my car problems and my financial issues? Because it's kind of, you know, what I'm doing. I'm being the Christian guy. Okay, stop for a second. Lord, I served you. So I believe now that you're gonna take me to a certain place of plentiful or a certain relationship. Okay, listen, let's just do this together. The reward for serving the king of the universe is getting to serve the king of the universe. The reward for serving the king of the universe is getting to have him pray for you 2,000 years ago. The reward for serving the king of the universe is the fact that through the 300 million galaxies that exist, the millennia that have happened and the six billion people currently on earth today, he chose you to have purpose and use your giftedness to change the world. That's the reward for serving the king. That's the reward for serving the king. 
We as a creative team in Generate sat around and we were discussing this. I told you as it began to burden my heart and now you can already kind of tell it's something very serious for me because I just kind of own it and lived it and it just is like, what have I done? Where have I missed this? And it's going to even get more real. We're sitting there in creative team having this discussion and all of us, we began to pop pipe up and say, well, you know, I think here's the reason I haven't truly taken this rock to the world. I mean, here's the reason I kind of have to hold back because I wanted some good feedback and input and everyone began to come up with really good excuses. You ready for these excuses? Well, we have kids, and you know what? We, we're getting married, and like everyone in our staff is getting married. And you know what I told them? I said, even when you get married, you got to practice abstinence because I can't have you losing you as staff. So they didn't agree with that. And then I told them this. Some of you were like, what does he mean? Oh. And then I sat there for a second, and we began to talk about money issues and all these things. And you know what? They sounded really, really good. By the time we got done, most of us were like, well, yeah, that makes sense. We're busy. We're trying to change the world. We've got to send people out. And you know, all of a sudden, Henry played on his computer this, this video. Now, I thought today, instead of just telling you about what God did in our heart, because I want to be transparent with you, it'd be easier just to show you. So first of all, we went ahead and taped, and I'm going to show you the excuses we came up with. And then after that, I'm going to show you the video that kept our meeting in silence for two to three solid, awkward minutes as us guys even cried. Let me show you the excuses first. Hey, my name's uh, Tony Wood. I'm the pastor here at Generate. The biggest reason that I probably don't do more uh, ministry and service and um, sharing of Christ uh, overseas right now is probably because I have a young family and uh, I don't want to be away from them for too long. Hey, uh, I'm Kelly and I'm part of the Generate staff. The reason why I haven't gone on a mission trip this last year is uh, I'm in full-time school. And my job here is um, is busy and just life got too crazy. My name is Ronnie. I'm a pastor and generate staff. The reason why I'm not going on a missions trip is because I don't have the time or the money. Uh, my name is Lindsay and I'm on the generate staff. Three years ago I went on a missions trip to Poland and I promised I'd go back and I haven't. Uh, life got busy. I got a job, engaged, and I just never went back. Hi, my name is Allie. I'm part of the Generate staff, and I'm going to Kenya in three weeks, but the reason I haven't gone uh, before is because I've been too caught up with myself. Hi, my name is Cody, and I'm one of the pastors on the Generate team. The reason why I haven't gone on a mission trip is because my wife is pregnant. Hi, my name is Natalia, and I'm a part of the Generate team. And the reason I haven't gone on a mission trip yet, I, I guess I'd have to say, is because I just got engaged and trying to scrape every dime and penny together, but reality that really is no big deal money is no object to god so i guess i'm just lame um i believe that these pictures are worth a thousand words and so i'm not going to say any more um this was a video that after those statements we then watched a 15 year old hustler named paul is taking us to meet young girls who he says are available for sex Along with a human rights investigator, we follow Paul through some alleys into a ramshackle house. We think we've already seen it all, but who could be prepared for this? Girls, some so young it could be in kindergarten, all for sale. Throughout the village, we see the same scene at one brothel after another. Everyone here seems to know a little English. When they talk about sex, they use simple, childlike terms anyone can understand. Yum-yum means oral sex. 
Boom Boom means intercourse. I look, I look, huh? We meet dozens of children. This girl says she's nine. Yum, yum. Yum, yum. Yeah, okay. Yum, yum. No, 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 no. too young. Yum, yum. She knows how yum, yum. She's joined by another who says she's ten. Both say they know how to perform oral sex, and they even tell us how much it will cost. That's 60 American dollars. Pimp says if two girls aren't enough, how about three? Happy, 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 you Happy, happy. How much three girls? This promises will be happy. Our team then leaves, saying we may come back later. In the car, the grim reality has set in for human rights investigator Bob Mosier. In 20 years as a cop, he says he's never seen anything like this. We sat there for, I'd say, two to three minutes. Um, those of us with kids trying not to cry. And after the first service, I actually had a lady walk up to me uh, with a little Vietnamese girl named Havana, who was just taken out of that lifestyle and they're providing, providing her a home here in the United States. But let me ask you the question. Oh, praise God, yeah. Isn't it interesting when you talk about the rock, the hope of Christ, the son of the living God, and then we look at our excuses. They begin to pale in comparison. You know, we felt that. We began to be moved by that. But let me show you, you now why the church, again, is the answer to even situations like that. Look at John 17, verse 22. Jesus says, the glory, and he's talking to the disciples again, and he refers to God. He says, the glory which you've given me, Father, he's praying, I've given to them that they may be one just as we are one. Look at verse 23. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them. And there's this beautiful thing happening here where he says, don't ever let us forget about the us, because if we forget about the us, there'll be no us, there'll be no them, and then there'll be no there. He's telling them this beautiful ideal. It's the ideology of togetherness and unity. He says perfected in unity, but don't miss what it says there at the end of verse 23. So that the world may know that you sent me and what? And you love them. You see, in America, I believe, and this is why this rock has become this bastion of just cry for me, because I believe that we've gotten so into the understanding of our salvation as a personal gift, which it is. It is the most beautiful personal gift. I accepted Christ. I now have heaven. I believe. That's right. But that's only 50% of the, of the story. The other story is what he says right here, that the fact when the church comes together, perfected in its unity, each believer with their personal relationship now showcasing love and showcasing connection, now caring about each other's needs, then the world will know that God loves them. You see, John chapter 15, verse 9, same prayer, just two chapters earlier, if you want to look at it with me, it says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Now abide in my love, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This, verse 12, is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The most famous text in all the scripture, verse 13, greater love has no one than this that he what? Lay down his life for his friends. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 
We've read it and studied it our whole life, but look at it again. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possessions, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who have called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Now, now, now here's what we do as Sunday school Christians. We go, yes, God, you have called me. I'm a chosen uh, race and a, a royal priesthood. God, it's so beautiful. But please stop for a second and realize that each of those yous are plural. You see what God did? Jesus said, I'm going to leave you this thing called the rock. It's going to be called the church. And you, Crossroads, 2009, you are going to be a chosen race. You and me and all of us are going to be this beautiful royal priesthood. We're going to be the ones that declare that darkness has fallen away and that a marvelous light is what the world needs. And guess what? John 17, he said, when that happens, the world will then see the fact that I love them. Okay, like think them in your mind. This is why this is so important to me. He does not say, okay, remember from the prayer to 2009, somehow we made this rock, this beautiful thing about us. He does not say that miracles, I mean, you know, a lot of you, we tend to think this, when you come to church, that'll be miracles that will help the world know God's love. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, no, it'll be the perfection of unity. Because a lot of you would say, yeah, okay, Tony or Chuck, Please, I know you're a powerful man of God. We believe in miracles. I have a friend, and I'm going to bring him, and he's, he's missing a part of his leg. And Chuck, if you can bring him, I'm going to bring all my other friends, and if suddenly, on a Sunday morning, I see that leg just begin to grow outside of his pant and then has little toes that wiggle, my friends will believe that God loves them. Is that what Jesus said? Oh, apologetics. If we can debate the fundamental and intellectual parts of the didactic understanding of scripture, and I can hammer you with truth, then the world will know, right, that God loves them. Worship conferences and worship albums. If we can put out more Hillsong United albums, and Natalia and the band can put out the most amazing CD, God will know that, that, wait, hold on, those are all good things. What about this one? What about conferences of leaders to come together? Standing on the side of a road with a Turner Burn placard. Jesus said, the world will know God's love when this family, this body comes together. Why? Because you cannot do Christianity on your own. You can share it on your own, but you can't show it on your own. Have you ever seen how hard it is to actually take discipleship and do it on your own? Tony, you must learn this. Oh, okay, Tony, what should I learn? Well, Tony, here's the things in the Bible that I read. Tony, okay, you cannot sit there and teach yourself. What about selflessness? Tony, I know you've just been uh, living for the Lord, and I want to take uh, this, the rest of your, your, my bank account here, Tony, and I want to give it to you, Tony. Oh, thanks, Tony. What about forgiveness? Ouch! Tony, why'd you do that? Oh, my. It's okay, Tony. I forgive you. The fundamentals of Christianity, unselfish and personal, the way Jesus did, go read Romans chapter 5, cannot happen when we're on our own. They happen in the body, unified, because you are a chosen race and a royal priesthood. You are the nation, the future of God. You are the kingdom. Let me just go a step farther, and I don't want to put this on you too hard, but how many of you, because you are autonomous and alone and feel that maybe sometimes you're estranged from being around family and church too much, would say, maybe I have forgotten to really care about the things that I'm supposed to care about? I mean, do you really still care about the things you care about? Why? Because in the family and the body, we encourage you to do that. Think about this for a second. Just go here with me. I mean, you talk about Christianity not being able to do on your own. When a baby cries around you and laughs, 
are you able to look at that little child and then scoop him up in your arms and laugh and giggle like little Chukuma? Are you able to laugh and giggle with him? Or is there a part of you that immediately reacts and says, well, you're bugging me. I've got TV to watch. I've got things to do. You're a distraction and a problem. Maybe that's because you haven't truly experienced the love of God in the body where we do learn patience and do learn wisdom and do learn to settle down and come together to experience a family as opposed to an autonomous life setting. What about when your friend comes to you and you get a phone call or a text message and tragedy begins to happen and you begin to wonder what's going to happen? Is your first instinct when you get that text or that call, geez, God, I sure hope this doesn't involve me. I've got lots to do. Are you too busy for the experiences and the intentional interruptions God put in your life for you to love or because you're focused on yourself all the time? God says that you and I together would be the thing that would showcase something different than the world can understand. Why? Because America says greed and consumerism and lifestyles and individualism is the key to answers, the right to do all these things on our own. Rights, 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 rights. And God says, no, your rights are in my hands and your right is to love me and love other people. It's the body being the body. See, I have this idea in my head that football season's about to start. I love the fact that a girl yelled first. But here's the thing about football season. We're only a couple months away from watching San Diego blow it again. (laughs) It's just true. Doesn't matter what you give them. Doesn't matter how good they are. They figure out a way to lose. And the Chargers are a great team. Phillip Rivers, I hope, is back this year. And that's all fine and good. But can you picture for a second, if we go to the training camp, actually, we go to their first big game. We all drive down. It's at Qualcomm, maybe, or wherever it is now. And they sit there. And and, and Phillip walks out on on the field. He has everyone pumped. It's ready to go. It's uh, first quarter, third down, and eight. And we're excited. So the crowd's up. We're cheering. We're going crazy. We got our jerseys on. LT walks over to the huddle. Phillip's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're on a blue 342. All right, everyone in. Oh, let's go. Break. Philip gets under center, starts calling out, realizes he might need an audible, so he's calling everything out. He backs away, looks over a little bit, gets back under center. He goes, okay, all three, all right, all right. and then, oh, time, time out. And we're all like, okay, what? Okay, well, maybe something's going on. So they come back to the huddle. Now, LT's a little bit upset, but Philip says, no, no, we're good, man. I just, just was thinking through some things. You know, I had to take some time to really make sure this is the right direction. And so, a crowd, here we go. We got to get up again. Things are going good. Back to the huddle again. Break. Get down. Okay, blue, 342. Here we go. On three, on three. Hold on, okay, hold on a second, time out, okay? And he starts doing his hair, he takes his helmet off, and he comes back, and then LT is now angry, we're now angry, this is a third down and eight, momentum's in our favor, we're gonna take this thing. Philip Rivers does it again. Now we start throwing bottles on the ground. Well, Christians wouldn't do that, so we start throwing Coke bottles on the ground, and we sit there, and we, he gets down again, blue 40, and time out, time out. Now, now, now please, please go here with me in the sensitive way. When we come together every single week as the church, and we sit here and we worship God and exclaim his excellencies and talk about how wonderful he is, and then we leave for six days and do not continue what he has begun, we are no different than a team standing in the huddle and never getting involved in the game. When we have a pastor like Chuck who walks up and gives us this commission in the Holy Spirit to go be empowered and to change lives and we get excited and we leave there, we get in our car, we're still praying the prayer and then on Monday it all goes out the window. We're a team that's in the huddle but a team that won't take the snap and here's what I really am scared about. A lot of you would say, no, I'm a superstar athlete or a superstar Christian and you get excited because it burdens you when that happens and you know the church should be so more. We all should be perfected in unity and so what you do is you go, I'm on the sideline, they're not going anywhere and you go sprinting out there and you grab the ball, you hike it to yourself and you go try to take down the opposition and the enemy all by yourself and you get bummeled, you get injured and what do we do? A lot of people sit on the sidelines in Christianity across America and they go, wow, look at that super Christian go. 
Someone get him a Gatorade. Whoa, can I have a water? Ooh, that looked like that hurt. It becomes individualistic with these superstars that are trying to run. The, can, can you imagine what would happen if in the fourth quarter, underneath the lights of heaven, where earth and eternity and heaven meet, we all got around as the kingdom and said 11 people will run onto that field. We will hike the ball and play with a strategy and a plan. We will move forward. And you know what? The gates of hell and opposition do not stand a chance at that point because we are the kingdom advancing down the field. We already know the end of the game. That's where it begins. But it's all of us, you, perfected in unity, showcasing the love together, not individual superstar Christians. We've got to commit to winning the Super Bowl of faith. We've got to. This, this, I told you the next 10, 15 minutes of our service are going to get really, really emotional. And I want to begin moving that towards a climax. And I'm going to ask if you're in this room for the next 15 minutes or so, just don't move. You don't want to miss what we're about to do. But let me take this even farther into the why. If we're going to provide hope across the nations, because the rock is the hope of the nations, Christ, the Son of the living God. And we're going to say we're going to do it perfected in unity together, standing against the gates of hell. Look at John 17, verse 24. And I want you to read it with me. Jesus then says this beautiful statement. And I want to tell you why he says it before I even read it. He says it because he knows that it's going to be hard. I mean, you all know. You know this is hard. Life isn't easy. Taking down the gates of hell and being, even staying united is not easy. There's times we're frustrated. Being given at church every week is not easy. And Jesus knew that. So look what he says as he prays for you. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that these you have given me, you see that? Be with me, what? Where I am. Do you know what the word where I am means in Greek? Kadoke, it's the idea of home and dwelling for eternity. It's the idea that all of us are going to end up in heaven with the king soon and very soon, that this earth is not ours, that we do not belong here, that we're going to spend eternity with him, embraced by him. And Jesus says, Lord, when things get hard and trials come and they don't know where to turn, allow them to view and literally picture the fact that they are going to be with me in eternity, that we are going to be together, that we're going to be transfixed and affixed on this common cause so that when we align ourselves in heaven, they'll know joy indescribable. He says, this is where they're going. You, the body, unified, have a hope in heaven beyond what this world can ever add. Hours away from suffering and death, Jesus is crying out that you will have hope of heaven. You see what happened? When blood and water hit the ground from Jesus Christ, the immovable walls of history came crashing down and Jesus says, now you can be revolutionary. Now you can step out and change the world because nothing can stop you or hold you back. Now I'm gonna tell you, I'm honored to know that I can stand here at a church and say to you that we are not a church who has ever let the rock become about us. I believe here, as clear as I can stand in front of you, that this is a church that is committed to the fact that the rock is about other people and about the perfected unity and love of Jesus Christ. I mean, I've had a chance this last couple weeks to review stories. Some of you know Loretta Lamb. Loretta Lamb is a lady in our church who came home Evidently, her sons were at home all day with her husband. They didn't know why daddy was sleeping all day, and she came home at 4 p.m. to find out 
that he wasn't sleeping, that he had been passed away in their room all day while the eight-year-old son did not know to go get him. Loretta comes home and she writes this long email to me and I'm viewing it and I'm like, oh my gosh, God, this is an amazing, a horrible story, but an amazing story of your beauty as over 30 people and within one hour showed up to give her meals and to give her, uh, to make phone calls, to set up funeral arrangements. And then this is the most beautiful one. The best part about the whole thing <laughs> was that that night they made sure that her bed was taken out, a new bed was put in and Loretta never had to spend one night laying in the bed that her husband had just passed away in. That's thought-provoking signs of love and service. That's the church being the church. Just last week, a lot of you were in the service when the Jacobson family came walking down, a huge Brady Bunch Partridge family-looking group, and we all cheered. What none of us knew was that just a week ago, the splendid family, the mom had passed away. But it was women like Tracy Scarce, who didn't even know them that well, that went to the hospital and prayed for three hours with the family, bringing them to crossroads, letting Chuck do what he does and the band do what he does, and you surround them with love and letting them walk forward to find that they do have a hope in Jesus Christ that goes beyond whatever this dark world can bring through circumstance. Perfected in unity and love. Just right over here, a lot of you remember for weeks and weeks and weeks, Mary Van Rossen sat right here in a, in a wheelchair. Some of you prayed over her, and it was a staff we did. Her spine riddled with cancer. Did you know Mary Van Rossen, as her earthly body began to lose its form, but her spiritual soul became ever connected to the living God, had two prayers. Her first prayer was that at her funeral, she asked Pastor JT, would you have that little girl, Natalia, sing, I Can Only Imagine? And for those of you that got to experience her funeral when her sons walked up and read what they loved about their mom, there was probably no more poignant movement of what a mother should be. Her second request was that God would allow her the freedom here at Crossroads to see her husband give his life to Jesus Christ. And you know, just weeks before he died, a lot of you got to experience when Pastor JT and Pastor Daryl baptized her husband into this family, and Mary Van Rossing was able weeks later to go to heaven knowing that God had fulfilled through this family her dying request. I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to say this, but I'm going to anyway. Cody and Allie, Pastor Cody, a lot of you know we've had a joy in our department and in our church, our staff, just to be able to celebrate the new baby they're about to have. They found out they're pregnant. Cody's been doing all the crazy names. I don't know why Cody does this. He wants to call his baby Trip. I don't know. If your name Trip, cool. Talk to Cody. He's on it. And Cody and Allie found out just two weeks ago that there was something wrong. They had a sonogram done, and the doctor said it looks like the femurs are are a little contorted, so we're going to send you to a specialist. Then last Tuesday, they went down for, I think it's an amniocesis, I'm not sure how to say those big words, where they take a foot-long needle and they put it into a woman. And if you can only understand men, that women can handle pain. The doctor came walking in after that particular moment, and he said, I got to tell you, I have some news. You know, we've been talking about Down syndrome, but I got to tell you, this, this apparently looks a lot worse. Now, as a mom or dad, you know that you have that prayer inside of you, that, that prayer that is, God, just give me a healthy baby. God, please just give us a healthy child that we can love and support. And in that moment, there is just something so devastating, but there is a hope that comes only from the creator. I love the fact that when the doctor then said, this might be a lethal thing, meaning that you might want to look at the option of abortion because every single extremity looks deformed and disabled. 
I love that Cody looked that guy right in the eye and he said, Doctor, I will kick you in the throat. I just do. I just love that. I'm sure he said that with all of Christ's love in the moment. And you know Cody, he would say that kindly. But you know what I think about this situation? Is that God knew that little baby in the womb. He knew that he would be wonderfully woven together. He knew why he would exist the way he would exist. He began to craft the sinews, everything together. And then get this, God in his majesty also knew the fact that Cody and Allie would be the parents. And although that baby might come out needing a little more care and a little more understanding, although that baby might come out needing a little more love, God knew that Cody and Allie would be the ones who could take care of a baby like that, who would not abort a baby like that and let one of God's creations live. And get this, God also knew that they would not stand alone because the family perfected in unity would ensure that they never felt alone and that we would stand beside them no matter what pain and struggle they went through. God knows that. So the things that this world says are evil and destructive or hard, God says can be beautiful because of the love perfected in the rock of Jesus Christ. But let me just tell you that today, I told you we're going to head this next few minutes into a, something that will stick with you for a lifetime. I realize that as I stand up here as your pastor, I cannot talk to you about love and about the rock the way that some other people can. I mean, I can tell you the what. I can tell you the what all in the Bible. I can tell you what God says. But this past few months, I've had the opportunity to meet someone that can tell you the why better than I can. Because I'll just shoot straight with you. I've never been on the other side of incredible struggle. I've never been on the other, other side of incredible illness, potentially terminal. I've never been on the other side of needing this body so bad that I can barely move without it. But I've had the chance to develop a relationship with a girl uh, in our ministry here at Crossroads, named Nicole. And Nicole has become a hero to me, a sense of vivid vitality, a sense of what service and what the rock is all about because she does not talk about herself but talks about others. And even again today, that is what she is going to do. But I want you to know, even before she walks up here right now, that it takes incredible courage because she, uh, after three months of relapse into a battle with leukemia, she found out just a couple weeks ago, she almost passed away because of organ failure, and then we just found out this week um, that she's home from the hospital for one week that um, she now has a metastasized movement of the cancer into her lung, and that the doctors are afraid um, at this point that they're beginning to run out of options. And I, but I hear, here's why I say that, not because this is, I want to paint something dark in front, I want you to understand what love is and the way this girl is going to showcase it to you. But as she comes up to share the why of Christianity and the why of the rock, I want you to welcome her. Nicole, please come. How Tony said earlier, the church is the rock. And a rock has 
so many elements in it. And to me, the greatest element is love because we are called to love each other. We're called to serve each other and wash each other's feet. I have never in my entire life seen the love like I have seen here. True Christ-like love, people who will drop everything they are doing and be there in a heartbeat, no matter what you are going through. People to just wrap their arms around you and lift you up in prayer. Crossroads has been the most amazing blessing in my life and in my families. And my family has multiplied in mass numbers with my new brothers and sisters in Christ who are there to fight this battle with me. It has changed my life and my relationship with God. And being sick again, it's, it's not the worst part. Being in the hospital, I can handle that because my God is bigger. The hardest part is being away from my church family and my rock. It's not my disease. My God can handle that. These last few weeks have been an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> Different tests and everything and you don't know what to do. But I know that I have somebody that I can call. A couple days ago, I was having such a rough day and I was able to call my bestest mic and say, grab your guitar and get down here because we need to worship. And we sat in the middle of the hospital and just sang. It was my therapy and my release. And I know it's hard going through everything and I'm a teenage girl losing my hair and you're struggling with the physical changes and stuff. But I know that I had an army behind me my entire Generate family, I can't tell you how many people shaved their heads. My hero, Allie Constant, shaved her head and she took on this pain with me. And the things that this entire church has done for my family and the fundraisers to help pay for medical bills has made it so that my treatment is possible and I could be home before I go back in. And after my first round of chemo, I came back to visit my Generate family and I walked in and every single person was wearing a mask that said for Nicole on it so that I didn't have to do it alone. The love that is here is the most amazing thing. The first time I came, Tony said, you have never been more loved than you are right now. And I never thought about it. I went by for a couple months and then it finally hit me that you have honestly never been more loved than you are now. And now I know what true love is. And that is the most, the greatest thing that I could even ask for. And I wanted to thank every single person who is a part of Crossroads, everybody here, because you guys are the ones who make this rock what it is and are able to go out there and impact the lives that you do. I thank you and I love you guys. Thank you. So proud of you. So proud of you. Thank you. That's okay. You can stay standing.
<clears throat> Go ahead and stay standing. It's okay. Stay standing. <clears throat> I'm going to make this as simple as I possibly can today. Um, no, I'm not going to give you a, a chance to walk away from this moment. And I'm going to ask that many of you have courage. When it comes to the rock, Christ, the son of the living God, when you think about the fact that he gave it all for you on the cross, I'm going to ask you today, are you willing to give everything for him? Are you willing to live for him and die for him and bleed for him and breathe for him, but most of all, be perfected in the unity of him? I believe that there are many of you here today that would say, I've never truly, for the first time, come in contact with that Savior, with Jesus Christ, and given my life to him. I believe that even as you stand here, there are a lot of you as well that say, now that I understand the why of the church and how important it is to the hope of this world, I know that I truly haven't given everything I can to God, and I must start over and rededicate and commit my life to him. But I told you that what I'm going to do right now takes courage. And I love the fact that many came first service to do the same thing as they did Wednesday. Today, if you know that you need to give Jesus Christ everything, that you need to start over and line yourself with the rock, or for the first time, come into relationship with him, I'm about to pray a prayer with you. But because part of being the rock is saying that I will stand publicly, I'm gonna ask that right now, if God's calling you, whether you're alone, whether you're with your family, bring their hands or their friends, I'm going to ask that you make your way out of an aisle and that you come down here and we're going to pray that prayer together because you are not alone today. And if you're going to pray that prayer, you're going to do it with family and friends gathered around you knowing that although you came in this room one way, you get to leave another inspired and loved and changed forever. So if God is calling you right now, make your way out of an aisle. People will let you out. Come here to the front and we will pray this prayer of commitment to God together. Have courage and come if God's calling. If this is your moment, please come. I'll wait. Praise God. Praise God. It's okay. We're your family. You cheer them on, you guys. You cheer them on. Heaven and earth collide right now. If God's calling you, you come and you don't walk away today without being changed. I'm so proud of you guys. Praise God. That's okay. We'll wait. Let people out of aisles. If they're trying to get out of aisles, let them out, okay? Cheer them on and let them out. Praise God, you guys. That is so cool. Wow. Wow. What an amazing moment. This is incredible. Now keep cheering. Don't you stop now, you guys. This is their moment between them and Christ. And the body of Christ will surround them and lift them up and embrace them and encourage them. You do not leave them walking alone. You keep clapping. So proud of you guys. That's okay. Keep coming. We'll wait. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Praise God for this moment. Thank you, Lord. It's okay. We got plenty of room. That's okay. We'll wait. Keep coming. Do not leave today if the Holy Spirit's tugging on you. Do not walk out these doors alone. You respond to his call. You stand up for his call. You give him everything today. True love with everything does not wait. It does not hold back. You respond today. Praise God for all of you that are coming. Wow. Hey, guys. Praise God. Wow.
Now you better keep clapping because your hands have a lot of time to rest this afternoon. Come on. Praise God, you guys. This is so incredible. Wow. What an amazing moment to experience together on this day. Wow, it's okay. Keep coming, guys. We're waiting for you. It's, there's, God sees no matter how high you sit. He does not. He knows your name. He knows why you were here today, what tradition you came from, and then the moment that you would be called to, he had it ordained from the time history began. If God's calling you, let go of the seat and make the walk. This is your moment with him. Praise God, you guys. Wow, this is incredible. Wow. Wow. Wow, we can cheer for the Chargers, but right now we get to cheer for the Lord Jesus Christ, baby. This is amazing. Praise God. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So proud of you guys. So proud of you guys. This is incredible. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So cool. It's okay. We'll wait. Just a few more. Wow. Wow. This is amazing. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. There's just a few more coming. We'll wait for you guys. Praise God. Baby in hand. So proud of you guys. Wow. Okay. If you're standing here right now, guys, and if you're still making your way up here, that's okay. We'll wait for you. But listen, um, if you're standing here, realize that Number one, this is a moment between you and the Lord, okay? This is real. But number two, think about the fact that thousands of people stand behind you in this decision and the angels applaud you. This is a moment that will change your eternity and your destiny on this earth. It's a moment of purpose. I'm going to ask you right now to commit your life to this rock, Christ, the Son of the living God, and say, I will live for you. I will give everything for you. Let's pray this prayer together, okay? Bow our heads. Say, Jesus Christ, Son of God, I believe that you died for me, and I believe that you rose again. I believe that you take away my failures, my past, and my pain. Today, I choose your love. I choose to say yes to you. And I want to give my life to you. So please come inside. Make me the person that you've always wanted me to be. Give me the life that you've always called me to live. I love you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Praise God. Wow. Okay, guys, if you're, if you're right here in this, in this section and you, and you said that prayer and you mean it to the Lord, here's what I'm going to ask that you do right now. You've just taken the first step, and here's what we want to do as a family. I told you you've never been more loved, and you're not alone. Now, I'm going to ask that right now we've got our staff and our leaders that are here available to pray for you in the living room. And I'm going to ask that because you made that decision, that now you go let us stand beside you and talk about the next step in your journey. If you were to go back to your seat right now, you would be missing out on the next part of this journey as family. So I'm going to ask that right now, as we stand up and worship and sing, you guys go ahead and make your walk. And if you've got friends and family or stuff in your seats, that's okay. We're, we're a church. I promise it won't get stolen, okay? 
So make your way to the living room. Now the rest of us, I told you, the next five minutes are a moment where we worship God in an incredible way. So you guys go ahead and make your way. Everyone cheer them on as they come. Wow, praise God for you guys. So incredible. So proud of you guys. Praise God.